The yips. A word that some people refuse to even say. It's it's incurable. One of the worst things to happen to a golfer. Standing over a putt and knowing it's not going to go in the hole. I could let the putter go a little bit, but the short ones, I, I, I couldn't even get it started. It was just like I was frozen over the ball. And it, it really is. And people who have never had them can't understand them. They, you're just frozen. You know something bad going to happen and you just can't stop it. And there's this un, unintentional twitch that happened. Just frozen over the ball, knowing something bad is going to happen. Anxiety, stress, the yips. Let's figure out what the yips are, where they come from and how to fix them with our expert for today's episode. My name is Dr. Rob Bell. I'm a sports psychology coach, and I work with athletes, coaches, and teams on mental toughness. I have uh, four books on mental toughness, and I've worked with PGA Tour champions, USTA champion, national champions, collegiate champions at all levels. You're listening to the Golf Science Lab, where we're bringing to light research and concepts that you might not have heard before, discovering insights to help you start performing better on the golf course. This season of the Golf Science Lab, we're talking all about neuroscience, the brain and sport psychology. Over the course of this season, we're gonna bring you conversations with some of the leaders in the field, really trying to understand and explain this so that you can perform better. Along the way, if you're looking to get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes info, and stay up to date on everything that we're doing at the Golf Science Lab, join the Insider Club. It's free and you can do so over at golfsciencelab.com backslash insider. A quick word from our sponsors. One of the things that we talked about in the last season of the Golf Science Lab was transferring skills. How do we transfer skills from the range to the golf course? And we know that we need to practice like we play, going through all the same processes and simulating pressure, but for most, it gets boring. That's why golf scrimmages is such a good tool. You can find great practice games specific for the skills you need to improve and then track your progress and climb the leaderboards on their app. Check it out at golfscrimmages.com and start practicing for long-term improvement. Something that has become so automated time and time again, they've you know, the neuropathways have become absolutely dialed in. What happens is, is when this twitch or freeze happens, the nerve pathways have now become frayed and they have to find another way to get it done. That's why when you see somebody have the yips, they got to change up the grip. And the reason why changing up the grip works is because now we're changing up the neuropathways or changing up the feel. And a couple of things like, you know, about the yips, I mean, it's just, these are all excellent putters. And I was also fascinated by the fact that it did not happen every time. It did not happen on the practice screen. Well, if it didn't happen on the practice screen, then I, I always believe, and this is what the research that we did, is we looked at, hey, how can we solve, how can we take care of people having the yips? Let's focus on the solution. And I basically said that, look, if we can take care of the mental part, if we can bypass the fear and the anxiety that makes the yips manifest themselves, then I think that w- then we can, you know, work on and that's going to really take care of where the yips manifest themselves. And that was a lot of fun. 
It really is crazy that such good players that were actually good at a skill can all of a sudden become just completely locked up with fear and not be able to perform at all. So Scott has the chipping yips, the most basic of chip shots he struggles with, and he's a really good player. At my high point of my career of golf, uh, I was probably got up to about a plus three, and a lot of that was short game. I was not the greatest ball striker, but... You know, I grew up where I just chipped around in the backyard, and that was like what I did, and I was awesome at it. And when I get over, I mean, I have the like the most basic of basic chip shot. I can't hit it, and it's usually a blade. Sometimes I uh, I chunk it. You know, I just stub it right in the ground, but it just feels so unnatural. I feel like when I have to hit the shot, I can. I mean, I notice the anxiety level is up, and it's it's terrible. And the crazy part is that Scott can pinpoint it back to the moment that the yips started, down to the hole in golf course. It happened off of a fairway lie, and I, and I, I vaguely remember being on like the ninth hole. But it was just a tight lie where you know you, you had to hit it really well. You had to make good contact, and I, uh, I actually hit it fat. And, and so I, I hit a lot of them fat at the start, um, just digging straight into the ground and I mean, the ball would go two, three feet. And it, it became almost comical. Um, if I had that shot, I would just, you know, it was like, wait for this. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was where it started out. And then it really got into anything. You know, like I said, the easier the shot, the more it is prevalent. This phenomenon is in line with what Dr. Rob Bell sees in working with players that have the yips. You know, the yips really typically come from one moment that triggers this entire problem. When I asked the golfers, and they could pinpoint when it exactly happened. They really could. They could pinpoint when it exactly happened. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple different schools of thought on that. That, you know, I don't know if people that have had it, you know, had that one experience and it didn't happen. But the other questions were, um, you know, did this happen in any other areas of their life? You know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. The other part was, you know, there were outside agents that would help contribute to this too, like alcohol, smoking, um, you know, these sort of things that, that weren't beneficial, but they could definitely, um, you know, dirty up the mind in terms of, you know, when these things would happen as well. But uh, every golfer I spoke with, they all had that one instant of when they remember when it happened for the first time. A word that you might have heard in a conversation about the yips is dystonia. Now, a dystonia can range in seriousness and cause a lot of pain for people, but the type of dystonia we associate with tasks is a little different and something that we definitely need to understand before diving deeper into the yips. Dr. Rob explains. I think if we go back and we can look, you can look at even you know musicians, and, and it gets classified as a dystonia. And a dystonia is like a focal hand dystonia is going to be that involuntary twitch. So I tell you what, so go back and look at dentists who have had this type of issue, that physical issue started popping up and then it caused so much anxiety and fear that, you know, it kept on manif you know, manifesting itself, especially when they didn't want it the most. And even with surgeons or, you know, these highly finely tuned motor movements that needed to be precise is when these is when these things would show up. Um, so it would it show up as a fluke, and then when they had that dystonia, um, then they didn't know when it was going to happen. 
And then what happens is when it becomes mental is when that anxiety and fear now has entered the realm of possibility and it's realm, and it's, it's dirtied up even our process. And this can happen to anyone, anywhere, from the more serious actions for surgeons, dentists, musicians, to baseball players in really any sport. Like, for example, if you look at like Chuck Knobloch, Chuck Knobloch um, you know, had an issue where he couldn't throw the ball from second base to first base. How many times has he thrown the ball from second base to first base? I mean, tens of thousands of times and then can't do it anymore? It's, it's the fact that Every kind of movement that we have, whether it's going to be walking or running, um, you know, our golf swing or our putting, you know, we actually have a movement pattern with that. And that becomes kind of like a blueprint. And when the blueprint becomes off, we've got to find a new way to do it. And now what has become automated where we never had to think about it, now we're thinking about it. Now you introduce anxiety and, and you've got in the back of your mind that now something's really wrong and I don't want it. Um, it happens in all different sports. You know, I've seen it with free throws. I've seen it with, uh, uh, with dart players, professional dart throwers. I've seen it with catchers that can't throw the ball back. I've seen it with, uh, you know, even, even coaches that can't throw BP because of the screen that's going to be in there. And they've always had this movement that they've done. Well, if you're, if you're not, a, <laughs> if you're a single A baseball coach and you can't throw BP, you're not going to be in a job long. And it's all because, and that's kind of the movement patterns, and that's what I mean, like the neural pathways uh, become frayed, that, that blueprint becomes off, that fingerprint is now different. So what's going on in the brain and the neural pathways leads to a physical manifestation? It's definitely a physical manifestation. I mean, you see it physically. There's no denying that. So I do not buy into the argument that this is solely anxiety or solely fear-based because it's not because when you can see the yips you can see it but you know i'm not on the side that's saying well it's just all physical so if you just take the physical that's going to take care of the mental that's not the way that you solve it the way you solve it is taking care of the fear and the anxiety that is that's what's going to that's what's going to trip the physical manifestation to happen so if that makes sense the reason why it's physical is because if it, if it wasn't physical, then why would changing putters work for a period of time? Why would the big grips work? Why would the claw grip? Why would those things work if it was only mental? Doesn't make any sense. And um, you know, but then the thing, well, if it was only physical, then then how come they'd have to switch it up from from time to time and always look for different solutions and, and never really see themselves as a as a great putter anymore and that was that was the route that I took was uh look there's anxiety and fear with every single one of the people that have the yips you know whether it's going to be in golf or any other sport or profession if you can take care of that anxiety or that fear that dystonia minimizes it's not there Dr. Rob did a study on this a while back to see what would help golfers with the putting yips. So he selected those that struggled with short putts and has a physical dystonia present, which you could see. Yeah, all of them had, uh, you know, their right hand, they would, they would have that twitch right at impact. And you would see it, um, you know, you'd see the hand flinch. And all of these players would rather have hit, you know, a 10-footer than a 4-footer. It was over those short putts that the yips occurred and were present. Um, we, we recruited golfers that were great golfers, so they had to be single-digit handicaps that had the yips or thought they had the yips. 
and we would actually film them, you know, playing golf and then putting. And they, we did a single subject design. And that's the way that applied sports psychology research needs to be done is we can't do a group design because it doesn't apply to group to group. We need to look at, okay, how often does this happen with this individual, you know, during a span of like 18 holes um, and, and how many times would they average it? And then we introduced the, uh, you know, the cure, the intervention. And that's all we call it, it's kind of the intervention. And then what we did with these golfers is we had a, a structured visualization you know, program that they ran through. And it was all, it was just solution focused. And when it's solution focused, they focused on when they didn't have this problem. The visualization for the study was actually a series of questions and answers that the golfers went through before playing. It took about 15 minutes and they did a session each time before they played during the study. Answering questions, trying to get them to visualize a positive outcome. What would happen if you didn't have the yips? We'd have a script and it was, I mean, it was 18 different questions. Uh, we would read them the question. They would have to verbalize their response. And it was a little bit uncomfortable at first because they've never visualized. But, you know, after, you know, after they got a, a hang of it and, and realized what the, uh, you know, what the script was going to be and the answers that they were going to be doing, they were all visualizing themselves being successful, not visualizing themselves, not messing up, but making successful putts, making, um, you know, smooth strokes. And that's, that's what was key. So the students were going through a visualization exercise to imagine what it would be like if they didn't have the yips completely makes sense. So what happened? Yeah, the results, you know, right after, um, you know, they got introduced to intervention, they all showed a, you know, an increase, I mean, a decrease in, in actual yips and actual behavior. And this was all independently observed and recorded. And, um, and they all got better. It didn't necessarily 100% eliminate it. I mean, there were times where an individual would go two rounds, uh, three rounds without a yip, which was amazing. And it would pop up for them um, later on. And the other thing was, even though, it, even though everybody decreased on their yips occurrences, it, uh, once we stopped intervention and came back weeks later, um, they were back to their baseline. So they were back to where they kind of were before. So something that had to be continued and had to be, uh, you know, really, you know, maintained. The visualization worked. They performed better. But when the player didn't continue to go through the visualization, their performance decreased again. So although it's disappointing, there weren't these long lasting effects, it still did work. But why? I think it, uh, it, it focuses on a different neural pathway. I think it focuses on you know, the, the positive, the solution, and it's not dwelling so much on the negative and what we don't want to have happen. And that's what happens in, in sports and in life is we're an avoidance mentality. We don't think about making it. We think about not missing it. And that's the biggest thing is that that's a train. I mean, I think it's, you know, that's, that's where all the, uh, the basis of the theory came into place is this was solution-focused. It wasn't problem-focused. And when we become problem-focused, we're not focused on solutions. We're just focused on the problem. And that's the part where it just doesn't help. We've got to focus on, hey, how can we get better at this? And, and when we can see ourselves getting better at this, that was the imagery part. That was the part that, that made, uh, made the biggest impact. 
So this leads into a conversation of how do we get solution focused instead of problem focused? Because this line of thought goes far beyond just the yips. And it's something to apply to your entire game. How can we have a positive visualization and how can we be focused on creating a great result every time? And when chatting with Dr. Rob, I discovered his thoughts on process and how this paradigm can help you get out of focusing on the outcome and on something that you can actually control. It's just a whole lot more simple if we just focus on the process and let it take care of itself. Um, when we do focus on the results and when that's going to indicate how good we are. And again, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm saying, look, the outcome doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter. I mean, but when we come out to play and it's finding a way, finding a way to win, that's a process. Like, how do you find a way? And you put all your energy into that. What happens is, is the reason why it gets a little bit more difficult is let's say we're a, a grinded out mentality or, you know what, our process is just to have fun. And then the score starts staring at us. And then automatically now we switch to being outcome driven. And, and, uh, and then that's where the mental gymnastics come into play. It's a lot more difficult to deal with the expectations, with the, the confidence, with the talk. And if, if we just get focused so much and consumed and sell out the process, I think it's just more simple. All we're trying to do is commit to the shot when it comes to golf. All we're trying to do is, you know, uh, commit to the pitch when it comes to baseball, whatever the sport's going to be. But uh, just commit. That's 100% what we can do. We can't control the outcome. There might be a gust of wind, a rock on the green, or something might just go wrong. But we do have control over the process. It's something we can commit to and perform at our best. And in that commitment to the process, we can find freedom because our value and confidence doesn't rely on a result that's out of our hands. So stick with the process and it can elevate you beyond those that are just looking at a result and trying to find a quick fix. And this is really a paradigm shift to take. So instead of constantly looking for the next short term fix, look at the long term process. Dr. Rob tells the story of Camila Vajegas and what separated him from the other players on a championship college team and how he went on to be more successful on the PGA Tour than those other players. When he played at University of Florida and won a national championship, and I mean, they're all great players. So what was different about, you know, Camilo as opposed to other players? And he had said, look, when I played a bad round of golf and we all play, I just went back to the fundamentals and practicing what I needed to practice. What other guys would do is they would focus on tweaking things or searching for something. And when we start searching, we get off the path pretty quick. And it's really tough to find the path on what made us a great player. And that's, that's all he did, focus on the fundamentals, focus on uh, you know, the things that we can control. And like they were good enough to get there. And when you're good enough to get there, you're good enough to stay there. And if you focus on the process, the results are going to take care of themselves. And are we focused on our preparation? Are we focused on you know, our habits? Because I think we first form habits and then they form us. And are we focused on you know, our, our process goals, our performance goals? And, and that's where, uh, again, that's where the freedom really lies in that. Dr. Rob Bell has some amazing information to share, so make sure to check out what he's up to. People can always go to my website. It's just drrobbell.com. All my books are on there. 
that's that's always the best route. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Twitter's uh, I love Twitter. Twitter has just uh, given me a, a source of uh, the channel, you know, my ADD, and uh, and inspire people and, and then get inspired. I love I love Twitter, and that's uh, at Dr. Rob Bell. Perfect. Um, is there a book that people should start with that you'd recommend after they listen to this? Yeah, you know, I mean, the golfers are always going to start with Mental Toughness Training for Golf. That was my first book. That one actually took the longest. You know, my second book was The Hinge, The Importance of Mental Toughness. This is going to be more general for, I think, life and all of sports. But what I believe is that every door has a hinge, and, and a door without a hinge is a wall. What keeps the hinge from connecting is fear, and that's what I wrote in my third book. That was No Fear, A Simple Guide to Mental Toughness. We, we created a film with that, too, so you can get on my website and just watch the free film, and you don't have to download the two ninety nine ebook if you don't want to, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And then my last book that just came out, the most recent one was for parents, and it, it really ended up actually being for coaches who would buy this for their parents, Cordy. So this was, you know, uh, don't should on your kids, build their mental toughness. So don't say it three times fast, but it was, um, I think parents could use a little bit of help on how they can help their kids build mental toughness. And, and, you know, the coaches are buying it for the parents because they wanted to help their parents. And they're just, there's just not a good guide out there. You know, youth sports has just become professionalized. And this was, uh, this was a lot of fun. It's been, it's been great having such a good impact and feedback from the book that parents come back and say, wow, like, thank you. That really helped because I was doing it the wrong way. Like I was talking about their round on the way home and a uh, huge impact, man. So we're just you know, really, really thankful for that. To wrap up the story that we started this episode with from Tom, I wanted to share the ending because it's actually a happy ending because Tom found a solution to his yips by changing the way that he putted. I had a job. I was the golf pro at Oyster Harbors on Cape Cod, and the club champ there putted left-handed. And the first time I went out and played with him, he saw it, and he said, you know, you should try left-handed. So in essence, the next time I played with him, I did. I made like five birdies, made everything, and just from that day forward, I never looked back, and I never questioned, and I never tried to work too much on technique. Once I got on the other side of the ball and did it, the yips, as you might call them, or the feeling, went away. I don't have that feeling of anxiety, that that perspiration, that that focal dystonia. It just went away, right, right away, and it hasn't come back. And that was thirty something years ago. Thank you so much, Dr. Rob Bell, for sharing with us. Make sure to check out his books and website, drrobbell.com. Also, you heard from Scott Hogan. He's a golf instructor based in Chicago. You can learn more about him at Scott Hogan Golf. Join us on the Golf Science Lab Insider Club. Make sure to head over to golfsciencelab.com backslash insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we're documenting in golf science. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker. Thank you to this season's content partner, Dr. Brett McCabe of themindside.com for your invaluable advice in putting this together. Thank you to our sponsors, Golf Scrimmages. Head over to golfscrimmages.com and watch a quick video showing you how it all works because the reality is that practice can get boring quickly. That's why people fall into bad practice habits and end up not getting much out of the time they spend on the range. Well, Games and drills are a great way to make practice not only more enjoyable, 
but efficient and effective. And Golf Scrimmages is a great platform to sort through a bunch of games, to find what you need on, to work on specific skills, and then track your progress on their leaderboards where you can compete against others. So head over to golfscrimmages.com and check out what they have going on there. This was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions, and we will see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab.